When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And hello again, welcome to episode six of the Hockey News on the Q podcast brought to you by BetMGM. My name is Will McLaren. His name is Jamie Tozer. And uh, Jamie, uh, before we begin, um, tell us where you've been this time. I think you were out on the uh, left coast once again uh, over the last week or so. Yep, no one can no one can question my, my fandom with the uh, Calgary Hitmen now after... Uh, <laughs> Following them for uh, eight, eight days now on the Pacific Northwest. Went to five Hitman games um, in the Seattle suburbs and uh, eastern Washington and then down to Portland. So uh, great trip, though. Uh, didn't rain once, which is like uh, I'm pretty much a miracle. Pretty much yeah. a miracle. There is actually some um, forest fire risks, which is very rare for this time of year, apparently. So extremely dry down there, but... Uh, it was good for me because uh, no rain. It was great. Excellent, excellent. Well, your uh, membership in the Pavel Brendel fan club is uh, in the mail, and I, I know so. there's only going to be a certain generation of people that are going to just understand that uh, reference. But uh, so be it. I I had to say it. Um, so we're going to uh, going to have a guest uh, coming on here uh, midway through the show. It's Thomas Beauregard. He had his number twenty eight retired by the Acne Bathers Titan over this last this past weekend and also we want to hear from you the viewers have you got a question have you got a comment have you got a suggestion you want to see something improved because we all know there's room for that reach out to us via twitter you see our twitter handles in our names down below so let's start things off jamie with news that happened about 12 hours or so after we stopped recording last week, came out of Drummondville and it was the firing of their head coach, Steve Hartley. Yeah, I think it was a little, little surprising. I thought, um, um, you know, we knew the Volts weren't maybe having the picture or the season they had kind of envisioned, but they had some injury issues, um, had a bit of a challenging schedule. Um, but I guess they were just a little bit flat. Um, but I think, you know, the timing was still a little bit surprising. I think maybe people thought that we'd, uh, get a little bit of a longer, uh, a longer leash for Hartley, but he had been there for a few years. So maybe when you look at the whole picture is, it, it was time for a shakeup. Um, and they were coming off a challenging road trip too. Um, they had a, a big win against Moncton, but then lost to St. John of Bathurst. Um, so, you know, that's not an ideal road trip for a team that's, we kind of expect to be hitting that upswing now. So, um, but it's still a little bit of a little bit of surprise. I thought. Yeah, no, it's uh, not too often that you see uh, a team with a record like that at this time of the season, uh, make a switch quite like that. I know I, when I saw the news come through my socials, it wasn't exactly what I was expecting to see. Um, you know, he, you know, he spent, you know, the better part of, well, I think it was uh, part of seven seasons yeah. in Drummondville. And, you know, to your point, Jamie, about uh, coaches, you know, the old cliche, they're hired to be fired. Maybe that's part of it. You know, and all in, in uh, his defense, to some extent, you know, three of his biggest pieces 
uh, have either not been in the lineup at all this year or yeah. have been uh, out for substantial pe- yeah. uh, periods of time uh, between uh, uh, Dion and uh, Maverick Lemaru and uh, Riley Mercer as well. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's uh, very difficult to, to and, and in a very contentious Western Conference at that, mm-hmm. kind of a difficult scenario. But uh, nonetheless, you know, we're looking at it from the outside and Philip Boucher and, and his crew and the management side of things in Drummerville obviously saw that uh, it was an opportunity for a change. And uh, as a result, uh, Boucher is actually back behind the bench. Uh, first, that's uh, probably the first time he's been behind the bench since uh, his days with the Quebec Ramparts, but seven or eight years ago. Mm-hmm. And the hunt for a new head coach is underway in Drummondville. And I guess the, the next part of the rumor mill will be, who's it going to be? <laughs> Yeah, we will see, uh, and, you know, curious to see if we see much of a turnaround, too, with the Volts. You know, when you look at their lineup, um, they've got a good team. It's still maybe a little bit young, but they've got a, a good roster. Um, and But, you know, they're 10 and 11 this season, which I think is a, a little underwhelming for what you see on paper. Um, had a challenging uh, start to the post-Hartley era last weekend, um, but we'll see what they can do uh, moving forward, especially once they get... Uh, or presumably they get uh, a replacement. Yeah, three home games for the Volts this week. Uh, they are against Blaineville, Bois Beyond, Sherbrooke, and Chicoutimi. So definitely a couple of games in there in Blaineville and Chicoutimi that uh, should be uh, a little bit on the winnable side, you would think, for Drummondville. And uh, speaking of the Sherbrooke Phoenix, well, they have been winning. They actually won the marquee match- matchup of the season to date on Sunday, defeating the Quebec Rampart 5-1. That ends the Rampires' 17-game point streak, and they did it in rather definitive fashion, Jamie. Yeah, 5-1 final, and, you know, it's funny when I was thinking about this after I saw that final score. It's funny how these long streaks, they often end with a, kind of a lopsided loss. You know, you think team that's running that well, I think that it would end in, you know, a shootout loss, an overtime loss, but it seems like more often than not, they end in a, a big thud like this, um, and saw some quotes today from Patrick Waugh who said he kind of knew going into the game that his team didn't, didn't look the greatest that morning. Um, they had a tough schedule that week. Um, so it wasn't, that was the second meeting with Sherbrooke too. So it wasn't, uh, didn't seem overly shocked with the results. Um, and we saw some, some fireworks <laughs> from Patrick Waugh uh, during the week on the bench and off the bench too. Uh, but uh, I think, you know, a big, big momentum push, I think for Sherbrooke who, um, like you said, is off to a really good start, but I think now this is just a, a comp, big confidence boost for this team. I'm sure um, knowing that they can beat um, a really good team like Quebec uh, uh, rather decisively like they did. Yeah. And really uh, Jamie, the Rampart are the only team that the Phoenix are looking up at yeah. in the standings. So, I mean, that is the test if you're that squad. And I took in uh, probably about two and a half periods of that game Sunday afternoon. And the one thing that, uh, impressed me consistently was the fact that uh, the Phoenix on a, from a defensive standpoint were keeping um, Quebec uh, contained uh, not uh, a huge number of quality chances, almost nothing within, you know, as they say, the house uh, between the hash marks uh, for the round par. Um, Sherbrooke actually had shot Quebec 40 to 20 in that game. And in a lot of ways that was very indicative, indicative of uh, how the play uh, materialized on the ice um 
Now, Josh Wawa with three goals and two assists, as we've come to expect from him. But definitely a statement uh, by the Phoenix, who also, as a reminder, you know, lost a close one-goal game to Quebec. You mentioned they played twice last week. That was a one-goal game up in Quebec on mm-hmm. Wednesday night last week. So, uh, you know, definitely uh, uh, a couple of teams that if, if uh, they have the opportunity to face one another in, in the postseason, obviously it would be deep in the postseason, if not in the final. It would be uh, very interesting to see uh, uh, how how that series would turn out if, if this past week was any indication that we'd be in for a great show. Yeah, it definitely seems like there's a little bit of bad blood between the teams, at least uh, off the bench a little bit or off the ice a little bit. Um, and Will, Will, you followed the league longer than me. Have you ever seen um, an athletic therapist uh, be ejected from a game and then receive a suspension? No, I don't think so. I, I was just trying to, to jog my own memory and, you know, things things got a little bit interesting back in the day, no question. Uh, you, know, I've, you know, obviously we've seen coaches get tossed. Uh, I can think of one assistant coach, and that was Sean McKenzie in his days with the Mooseheads probably about 25 years ago. I remember him getting the boot. A trainer? Um Actually, yes. I've heard of really? it happening once, and I think it might have been in Cape Breton about 25 years ago. Okay. I'm not going to get into the details because I can't remember them that well. It was a quarter century ago. but he And the only reason why I knew about it was he did show up in the game sheet as uh, getting a game misconduct uh, during during a brawl of some sort. So not unprecedented, but um, first time I've heard of this in a while, that's for sure. Yeah, it's very, it's very like old school cue, right? Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, it's you think of like the, the trainer in slap shot or something like that, where you know, he's just, you know, on the bench and just giving it to them. But, uh, you know, uh, you know it, it does make things interesting for better or for worse. And it creates some headlines and creates uh, some interest from some corners. But uh, the Rampire, uh, they're back in action uh, this week for three. Uh, they're in Victoriaville and then back home for games against Baker Gatineau. That latter game, not going to be an easy one either. Uh, the Phoenix, they could Gatineau as well um, on the road, though, to start their week. And, uh, of course, the aforementioned game in Drummondville as well. We said we were going to have uh, Thomas Beauregard on. He'll be on momentarily. But before we get to that, um, something that's linked to him, and that is players scoring 70 goals in the season. Um, it's almost hard to believe, Jamie, but once upon a time, this was not the most unusual thing. Uh, to happen in the queue. In fact, uh, there's been five pl- there was five players in a 10 year span back in the late 90s and into the 2000s who who turned the t- trick. Uh, a few notable names: Beauregard is one. You know, uh, Brad Richards, Ladislav Nagy. They were amongst that crew. Um, but nowadays, not only has the uh, 70 goal man disappeared, so it's the 60 goal man. In fact, that hasn't happened since Thomas Beauregard scored 71. And my question for you, Jamie, is do you think that era has passed? Do you think we'll ever see somebody score at that prolific of a rate in the Quebec League again? I I think those days have passed. And the main reason why is I just think it's difficult to play that many games now so that you can score 71 goals. Um, If you're good enough to score 70 goals and you're under 20, you're you're obviously going to be playing a lot of international play. You're probably going to miss some time um, at NHL camps. Um, and if you're 20, um, you're probably going to be in the AHL where an NHL club can control you, or you're going to be in the ECHL, um, which is considered to be much better than it was um, 20 years ago. 
Um, so I, I just think playing enough games to get 71, 70 goals is really difficult now. Um, I definitely think we'll see players on pace to reach that mark. So slightly over goal per game. I definitely think that's possible. And we've probably seen that um, a few times since, uh, since Beauregard's left the league. But I, I, I just think getting in enough games to do to score that many goals is, is too difficult now. Yeah, I, I do agree with you. And the one caveat that I will throw into the mix here, if it does happen, I think it's going to have to be the residual effect of a, a substantial rule change, which is really what caused the last two to take place. Um, you know, the last, we'll talk about the last five is last Lav Nagy, Brad Richards, Simon Gamash. Those all happened in back-to-back-to-back years, 99, 2000, 2001, when the league was a lot more wide open. The league was older. The over quality of overagers, which we discussed just last week, uh, Jamie, mm-hmm. was a little bit higher. Guys weren't going to the pro ranks maybe quite as quick as they are now. Mm-hmm. HL wasn't as young as it was then, for example. And then we didn't have anything of that, uh, of, of that caliber until 2000 and... Uh, five 2006 and that was uh, Maxime Boisclair he had 70 and then Beauregard 71 the year after and what happened of course in 2005 was they removed the red line mm-hmm. no more two line passes tag up offside was eliminated the game became much quicker in a in very rapid fashion to boot mm-hmm. and um, I think defensively there's a lot of adaptation that hadn't quite yet taken place and i think that's what it would take and that'd be about the only caveat and really what's what's left um goaltending equipment getting even smaller the net's getting bigger you know some of these more out and left field ideas that sometimes they sometimes come up from time to time when people are you know talking about uh, about the rules of the game um i don't think you'll see anything that radical change because quite frankly i think the most radical changes have already been made and you know as a result I agree with you, uh, Jamie. I, I can't see it happening again. Would be crazy if it did, though. Man, imagine. It would be <laughs> imagine. fun to watch. No, I'll, 16, I'll buy a ticket. Yeah, 16 I'll, or 17-year-old. I was thinking, too. I, I, oh, yeah. And like, I'll buy a ticket for that any day of the week. <laughs> and that's kind of what it would have to be. You think probably like a the next, you know, Sidney Crosby. You know, he had, he had 50-some his first year, 66 yeah. his draft year. That's probably or, what it would yeah. take. Or, you know, a real wildcard option that I was thinking about today, someone, an import comes in from a really um, weak hockey country that just doesn't have an international team, which seems extremely Mm -hmm. rare uh, that it would happen. But I guess that's a possibility and he wouldn't miss time. And you've kind of hit the hit the nail on the head there in in terms of Vladislav Nagy. Don't forget, you know, he was Slovakian and that hockey federation was in its infancy when he came over here. So, you know, those are very good points. But um, we will uh, we'll see in the years to come. And speaking of 70 goal scorers from the past in the QMJHL, we just happen to have one of them here with us here tonight. Um, he was a five-year forward with the Agony Bathurst Titan. He uh, left the Q in 2007 as an overager, 71 goals that last season, and he came back to Bathurst this past weekend to see his number 28 lifted to the rafters in Bathurst. Thomas Barbergard, thanks for taking the time. Thanks for having me. Well, first things first, Thomas. Um, what about uh, the weekend that just passed? Uh, uh, just tell us uh, first of all when you found out that uh, the Titan were going to honor you in this uh, manner, and uh, was that your first time back in Bathurst since your playing days? 
Yeah, well, I went back a couple times, uh, probably 14 years ago, uh, for a golf tournament just after my junior career. But um, yeah, they called me a couple months ago to let me know that they will uh, retire my number, and it was it was such a surprise. Um, I never thought about something like that, and when they called me and announced it to me, and actually it was. Sylvain Couturier, who, uh, who called me first and uh, tell me that tell me the good news, and I was just I was speechless. I was it was such an honor. Spent your entire junior career with the Teton. What are what are some of the big memories that really stick out um, from your oh, playing days? Well, it was well. First of all, I got drafted there. My draft year was in Bathurst, and I remember I remember when I got in town. I was 15 and I told my dad, I'm like, I'm not going to play here ever, ever. Cause I didn't know, I didn't know like small cities. I was from Montreal and I, I was used to a big city and anyway, like a lot going on. So when I got, I got the bathrooms and I, I was, I was thinking to myself, Oh, there's, there's not much, to do here and uh and finally like the next day the next day uh when leo uh, leo Guy, uh said well we're drafting thomas Beauregard, well i was really surprised and and back then it was the best day of my life it was just i was just so happy to get drafted in the quebec major junior hockey league and and since then well yeah the love story with bathers uh again you know and you bring up a good point uh, thomas it's uh, it's almost hard to believe now what it was like especially the first year the first few years that t-town were in bathurst um as you said small city one of the smallest markets in the chl but uh you know there was nights when you know you would have a third of the population of the city, you know, packed to the rafters at uh, the Casey Irving Center to watch you guys play. And I remember talking to uh, a member of uh, the team from a couple years earlier than that, and uh, he once almost described it as almost like a fishbowl. You know, you were you were kind of uh, insulated but isolated, uh, and and just you know, sort of living with an entire city who who knew you an entire city of hockey fans just try and describe what it was like to, to go into that atmosphere especially well, at a young age like that it was unbelievable i mean it was the perfect fit for a junior hockey town for a junior hockey team for young guys because you're going to play major junior mostly because you're playing hockey and that you're going there to play hockey. And in Bathurst, well, like you said, it's a small town. It's the smallest market in Canadian in the hockey league. So you're going there and your focus is on hockey. So it was it was the best thing. You know, like I, I couldn't ask, I couldn't ask for more. I mean, it was just so many good memories. Um, it was it was like it was the best time of my life. It was just like Everyone knows you. You're going around town, like even when the team is winning, or even when the team is is losing. Like everyone loves you, and on top of that, like it's not like you're going like it's not about go- how many goals you score or how many points you have. Like just and I told I told the players that like before the game on Saturday, and like it's not about goals at 
about points. It's about, about like being kind with people because they love you. Like you're, they're everything for these, uh, for these fans and backers. Cause there's only like the Titans there and people live for the Titans. And it was just like something like so many good memories. And, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was, uh, it was great stuff. Now, uh, speaking of, uh, players who recently, recently retired, uh, Matthew pro, uh, now you had 124 points in 2006, 2007, but you barely finished first in team scoring, uh, pro finished just behind you with 119 points. What was it like playing with him? It was the best player I ever played with. Mm, he was a magician. He, but we had that chemistry that it's so hard to explain, um, it was just like we knew like he was he was the playmaker and I was the finisher and but it, it was just that kind of chemistry that you you don't even have to talk and we knew exactly what we were going to do. Like I knew I knew exactly what he was going to do on the ice and he knew where I was going to be. And it was just like it was he it, it was so easy to play with. But we had that chemistry that it's hard to explain. Like, you have to live it. Like, we had – it was every night. Every night. It was just, like, we were unstoppable. And it was just, like, at some point we were like, yeah, it's going to it's gonna stop at some point because – and that year, no, it was just – everything was awesome. It was just awesome playing with him. And, yeah, he, he was our best player. So – I was fort. I'm so grateful that I, I was the guy to play with it, uh, to play with him, and yeah, it was a great, great year. The the 71 goal season. Uh, before that, your career high was 46 goals. Uh, going into that year, did you think you had the potential to reach 71, or was it no. just uh, no? No, I, well, I never thought about it. Um, yeah. uh, when I scored 46, uh, I might have been able to do 50 the next year but on top of that like our my 19 year old year was for me was the more fun after like the of all five of them because we had a really really good team we lost to quebec in game seven semi-final if we would have won we would have went straight to the memorial cup because it was against moncton and moncton was the host back then and but um, no, it never crossed my mind to score 70 goals or 80 goals or whatever. I, I just wanted to win. And yeah, but when I scored, I remember I scored my 50th and at my 39 game. So I was like, ah, oh, maybe I can. It's pretty good. I, yeah, maybe I, I'm not going to stop there because there, there was a lot of game left. And <laughs> yeah, so yeah, well, I, it was just. A, it was just a good year. It was like 50 goals in 39 games. I mean, yeah, it was, uh, I remember when Christmas break that happened, I came home with 48 goals. So basically like a lot of times, like we're saying, well, if you, if you go home by Christmas with 20 or 25 goals, you're going to have a really good year. And yeah, I, I remember I came back home with 48 goals. So <laughs> it was, it was something. 
So there you go. What what does uh, Matt, what does uh, Thomas Beauregard and Wayne Gretzky have in common? Right there, fifty and thirty nine. We learned something new right there. Different Actually, league. <laughs> different league. <laughs> slightly different. Uh, I do want to talk a little bit about that 0506 season, uh, Thomas. I'm glad you brought it up. Um, I remember being in the building for Game Six of that Quebec series, and that is still one of the more electric atmospheres that I've ever seen for a hockey game at any level, NHL, junior, you name it. And everybody knew what was on the line. You guys had to win to stay alive in the series, which you did. Yeah. Uh, fans from all over the place. And uh, for, for you guys on the ice, and, and you know, keep in mind, too, something else that gets missed along the way there in that season, you guys had a coaching change about two-thirds, three-quarters of the way through the season. You know, Mario DeRocher uh, lost his job. John Shabbat came in. Yeah. Now, for, for you guys who were still with a somewhat newish coach, uh, certainly not one you'd been with uh, all year long, you know, he's he's got his system in place. And you got to come out and play in this basically cauldron of sound of, of, of you know, 3,500 rabid fans to keep your season alive. Just to explain for a 19-year-old such as yourself – what was that experience like? Well, we, we knew we had a real, real good team that year. And we were basically built to go all the way. And um, I, I don't remember exactly when it was, maybe in February that we changed coach. But um, it, something needed to happen because we were on, I, I believe it was on a four or five game losing streak, just coming into the playoffs and, and the atmosphere went great, and so something needed to happen. And yeah, they they made the decision to uh, change coach. And when John came, um, he changed everything. I mean, culture wise, and and he was he was phenomenal uh, as a human being. As just a great man, just a great man. And I don't know, he, he found a way to. Uh, brought us back all together and the chemistry that um, came and yeah, it was just, it, it, a change needed to be done. And John, John came and man, we had, we had a good ride. We had a good ride. And unfortunately we lost game seven. Unfortunately they had the uh, Radulov in Quebec. So I mean, yeah, it is what it is. <laughs> yeah, no, and I can tell you from a person living in Moncton back in the day, um, there was a lot of people in that town that wanted to see uh, Bathurst as oh, a second rep as well. It, it would have been, been, been phenomenal. Yeah, Moncton versus Bathurst, New Brunswick or Valerie, um, and especially like one of the two best friends, I believe it was Ted Nolan with a um, big friend with John Chabot. So it would have been like just great thing for New Brunswick, and but unfortunately we lost Game Seven, and yeah, it is what it is. Oh, but still a a significant career and a very successful one nonetheless. Uh, Thomas, once again, congratulations on the honor, my man, and uh, good luck in all of your future endeavors. Thank you very much, guys. Very appreciated.
And thanks once again to Thomas Beauregard uh, for taking the time to talk to us. And uh, also his uh, his child, who was in the background as well, who uh, wanted to get uh, their two cents in on uh, on their dad's uh, Q career. So always great to have the, the whole family join in uh, on uh, the Hockey News on the Q, brought to you by Bet MGM. Um, before we go any further, I do want to point out one thing from earlier in the show. Uh, has a trainer ever been kicked out? And we, I did stumble across mentally one example, but uh, stick tap to our great producer, Connor Somerville, who pointed out it did happen in MLS this season. So for all of you who think soccer is boring, <laughs> I give you exhibit A. <laughs> Let's move on to our NHL team profile. Uh, we're going to stay out on the West Coast. Uh, we were in Los Angeles last week. We're going up the PCH to San Jose this week. Um, only one player in the queue uh, that is currently drafted by the Sharks, uh, Jamie, but um, uh, definitely a strong prospect in his own right, Jake Furlong. Yeah, and it always seems like the Sharks have uh, you know one or two guys in the system who are, are queue guys, and that's kind of continuing, it seems. Um, you know, Will, you watch Furlong a lot more than I do, but from what I've gathered, it seems to be kind of like a hardworking physical type defenseman, not the biggest guy, but you know, he's, he's a hardworking player. I uh, really seems to get the most every shift he plays. Um, starting to see more offensive uh, stuff from him. Um, uh, 14 points already this season in just 21 games. So that's pretty good. Um, and we've talked about, we've said defensemen before on the show, you know, they're, they're going to need to really have a good season on the back end. Cause we know um, offensively they're extremely good, but, uh, if there's any question marks with the Mooseheads, it's on the back end. So um, they really need all those uh, experienced defensemen that they do have to really step up this season uh, and next. Yeah, uh, Furlong is really uh, the leader, him and Cam Wynott, of course, who we've already talked about on this show, the Calgary, Calgary Flames prospect. They're really, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the veterans of this crew. Brady Schultz, of course, also coming into his own in Halifax this year. As well, but the thing is with uh, Jake Furlong that I know I've noticed watching him. Uh, this is now his third season in the league. Uh, that draft year, he really started to push the offense a lot more, and it was almost maybe partly by design, but also partly by necessity because uh, there just wasn't a lot of uh, of talent on the back end in Halifax that was capable of consistently mm -hmm. uh, uh, driving the offense. And he started to really refine making those good first passes, uh, running the first power play, things things of that nature. Um, there were some stumbling blocks along the way, but uh, you could see as the year continued on his composure and uh, the fact that uh, he was paired with uh, numerous partners, why not being one of them throughout the year, he seemed to be very adaptable uh, in, in that regards as well. So going to be very interesting. Of course, he's yet another guy growing up in this uh, up and coming Mooseheads team. You know, we always talk about Jordan Dume and Marcus Didichek and, and uh, uh, guys like James Swan, guys like that. But, you know, don't forget about Jake Furlong. He's going to be a leader on the back end, definitely this year in Halifax and, uh, you know, for next year as well. Yeah. Now in the yep. AHL, it's um, it, it, there's a fair amount of talent there too, both on the back end and uh, up front, and uh, uh, and at least one guy who has a little bit of Memorial Cup experience as well, Jamie. Yeah, Jeffrey Vl, who's a very well known Teton alumni. A very this is a very Teton show we've got going on here. Um, 
one of the things I noticed when I was looking up his numbers, I haven't haven't followed him that closely since he left the queue, but um, was given an, he was the captain of the Teton their Memorial Cup season. He had an A on his jersey um, in his second year of pro hockey. So obviously a guy who um, is thought of very highly um, in the Sharks organization. I don't believe he's ever drafted in the NHL. Um, so a great story uh, as a free agent. Um, and has put up pretty good numbers in pro hockey too. And uh, uh, played in quite a few games with uh, San Jose last year. So really a, a great story. Um, of a guy never to be drafted in the NHL um, gets a chance to go pro and has had a pretty strong pro career so far. Yeah. And uh, you know, he, he was a very gritty, you know, 200 foot guy in the queue. And it's, it's obvious that those skills have transferred very well to the pro ranks. Of course, he's seen some time in the NHL as well. Um, Adam Raska is another notable. Uh, he was a defenseman in Ramuski a couple of years back, a member of the Czech national team as well. Uh, he's uh, getting his feet wet in the pro ranks. Um, and uh, another person, I'd be remiss if I don't mention this uh, because of our, our contemporary over in the WHL uh, podcast, uh, Liz Child, but uh, Artemi Nyatsev, who uh, spent uh, – Three seasons in uh, Shikudami was a second-round pick of the Sharks back in 2019. Very offensive first defenseman as well, who's uh, who's uh, uh, developing a very solid pro game as well. Um, and then, of course, uh, the ECHL, there's one player with the Wichita, Wichita Thunder, Stefan Fournier, another Memorial Cup winner with the Halifax Mooseheads back in 2013. And uh, one of my favorite players in uh, Moosehead's history, just a solid all-around guy. Um, Lewis Domaniac, too. Absolutely. Thank you very much, <laughs> Jamie, for picking up the slack there. Rest in peace <laughs> to our good friends at the Androstragon Bank Coliseum. Um, and, of course, in the NHL, I mean, three guys, and all of them who made a significant impact in the queue in one way or the other. Yeah, Timo Meyer, who's turned into a real star, uh, was obviously a big star in, in junior as well. Um, Evgeny Sveshnikov, who had a great career with uh, the Screaming Eagles, who wasn't here for a long time, but he was, he was, <laughs> he was here for a good time, uh, that's for sure. Um, and then way back, Mark Edward Vlasic, uh, Memorial Cup champion, uh, which again, we talked about a little bit with Thomas Beauregard, that Memorial Cup year in 2006. Um, and, you know, kind of crazy to see, I was looking at his numbers today, Won a Memorial Cup in 0506 with the Remparts, and then the next season played a full season in the NHL, which you almost never see now uh, with a defenseman. So that just shows how good Vlasic is. Yeah, at the time, I mean, I, I remember very well people were expecting Mark Edward Vlasic to uh, remain in junior at least one more year. He was only 18 at that time. And uh, for him to make the jump and it kind of caught everybody by surprise because, you know, he, he was talented. Don't get me wrong. And it, and it showed all throughout that playoff run and through the uh, Memorial Cup. But there was a couple of other guys on that back end. Michael Serson was one that came came to mind, who was a former first overall Euro pick. Uh, and I believe a Pittsburgh prospect at one point who was maybe considered the better of the two prospects at one point. And uh, Vlasic just kind of, you know, it was explosive up front with guys like Alexander Radulov and Brent Obama. So Vlasic just kind of plied his trade quietly. And it ended up being, par it ended up parlaying into a, an extensive NHL career, which continues to this day. So our 2023 draft prospect of the week, we're going to go to Shikunmi. He's the last B-ranked prospect uh, out of the queue that we have featured. Um, it's a last but not least, and uh, he certainly wouldn't, he's certainly a guy who would stick out on the ice and in a crowd, defenseman Mateo Mann. 
Yeah, I and I was I was curious about because I was reading a lot about him um, his draft year today, um, and he was kind of considered that a guy who needed to really step up his physical play coming in the league. Even though he was six three, two hundred pounds at the time, um, now he's listed at six six, two twenty two. So he's still he's grown even after he's gone stepped into the queue, uh, which is pretty wild. Um, definitely a bit of a more lesser known prospect, I'd say, heading into the NHL draft from the queue. Uh, maybe a bit of an underrated prospect. Um, you know, I think he's maybe flying a little bit under the radar um, just because um, he doesn't have the offensive numbers that we see from other defensemen. Other defensemen. Uh, so I think if he can elevate his offensive game a little bit, I think we'll probably see him uh, move up in the draft rankings more. Um, but as, as we know, once you get older, you start to see a little bit more offense from guys. So, I um, mean, maybe he could be a late round steal for an angel team. Yeah. And, uh, you know, like I say, he's not there really to uh, be an offensive catalyst, you know, definitely a defensive first guy. And plus he's also been out of the lineup for the better part of a month um, with an upper body injury. He should be back within about a week or so and uh, continuing to uh, try and get his stock to rise in the 2023 NHL draft. I uh, just want to remind you one more time before we sign off, you got a question, you got a comment, get a suggestion, send it our way via Twitter at Mel, at Will McWriter. Thank you. And at station <laughs> underscore nation. We would be happy to take any of your comments and uh, put them on the air. Let's hear from you. So Jamie, just to wrap things up quickly, what are you looking forward to this week in the queue? Uh, Thomas Couture returns to the Maritimes playing in Moncton and St. John. Curious to see how that goes. Um, and you mentioned a little bit earlier in the show, Gatineau, big week for them. They're on a five game winning streak, but they've got a tough schedule this week. Sherbrooke, Victoriaville and Quebec. So curious to see what Gatineau can do. Yeah. It's time for a little bit of uh, separation, perhaps in the upper echelon in the QMJHL. Lots of great action coming our way this week. And that will do it for us for this week. For Jamie Tozer, I'm Will McLaren. This has been another episode of the Hockey News on the Q. We'll see you next week.